This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prady will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Good afternoon, everybody. Today, it is October 11th, Tuesday. Markets, it's kind of early morning, but you know, right now they're fairly flat. Um, 10 year was up a little bit so far, sitting at 3.906. Uh, Tim, I mean, we have some bond yields higher, um, really on the job data, of course, right? Uh, Tim, Tim, what do you make of all this? Yeah, I mean, you know, the Fed's got to be frustrated by how strong um, uh, employment remains. You know, we, we keep getting, uh, whether it's weekly jobless claims or the non-farm payroll numbers, we got an NFIB stat today that had hiring intentions going up. Like, that is not where they would hope to be at 300 basis points later. Uh, I still don't think there's any doubt that employment is going to come off the boil. You did get the jolts data. There is a slowing trend uh, in hiring, but man, it, it, it is incredibly tight. Uh, and this labor shortage, this thing that we really focus on for the long term, sure as hell seems to be persistent and um, is going to be hard to break. The big data point for this week is CPI. Uh, expectations are for an 8-1 print on CPI. I have no idea what the number will be. The Cleveland Fed, which has been pretty accurate, but on the low side is at 8-2. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. And then earnings season really starts on Friday with JP Morgan and then really starts in earnest next week and the week following. Our view is because nominal growth has been relatively strong, numbers will come in relatively in line, maybe a little bit below, but you gotta think that now that you really start to see a global recession taking hold uh, in Europe, certainly in Asia, you just had a disastrous number out of Korea on exports. China is pushing on a string. They don't see a demand recovery there yet. You gotta think that numbers will start coming down, even, even if it's just to incorporate uh, such dollar strength. Um, and then the other big thing this week, and you see it in the semi-space, is the, the language out of the Commerce Department. No possibility of reconciliation as they talk about semiconductor and other technology uh, and software controls. Uh, and you see it in the, it's not just saber rattling. I mean, you see it in the stocks, ASML, TSM, Tokyo Electron, those big fabs, those big manufacturers of semis that are global companies uh, are getting hit hard. And that seems to be what's kind of leading tech down right now. But we'll see. The game kind of starts on Thursday with CPI and the earnings game on Friday. One thing that I found interesting is when you look at the history of the Fed, they typically undershoot um, unemployment numbers, which seems not the case right now in 82. Uh, they undershot what the final unemployment tally was in 09. Um, you know, and right now they think that by 2024, there might be 4.4% unemployment, but that was really like the five-year average before COVID, and that was an expansionary yeah. period. So, you know, that, what's your thoughts on that? What, this is just, it's obviously a tough process, but it seems like there's kind of been a consistent um, undershooting what unemployment's going to be at, from, from that level. Yeah. And, and I think the academic work, you know, Larry Summers was a co-author of a paper on this subject. The Brookings Institute had a paper on this subject. And it seems like all the academic work suggests that if you are going to get CPI to 2% by 
you are going to need well more than 4.4% uh, unemployment. But look, it just it really depends on how long it gets there. What is the trajectory of this recession? How steep is this recession? And that'll determine how long it takes to get there um, on the unemployment rate. Then labor force participation, you know, is another thing that's been kind of interesting because it seems like a lot of the elderly people who stepped out was kind of on a seasonal basis. I mean, if you're looking at people who are, you know, 50 to 60, uh, you know, they're still in the market pretty much at historic highs. Uh, so what what exactly do you think happened um, with the labor force participation if it wasn't, you know, the initial assumptions of people just stepping out after 2021 after another year of great equity gains? Well, there's a lot of variability in the different cohorts. Um, the Bloomberg piece that you sent over, which talked about this, uh, it showed that 60 to 64 is pretty high, but the 50 to 55 has remained stubbornly low. And that 16 to 25 cohort is the one that is really problematic. I guess the problem is, is that while the different cohorts are at or near kind of their all time highs in participation, certainly that younger cohort is not, um, you would think it would be stronger, right? You would think that when labor markets are this tight, when the Atlanta Fed wage growth tracker is running at six, seven, you would be pulling more people into the labor force. Uh, and it hasn't happened. But it, it is interesting though, that the, there's a narrative that LFPR has been really, really weak, and it's not as weak as when you cite the statistics that you cite that you would think, and yet we still have this labor shortage, and that brings you back to all the dynamics we've been talking about, uh, which is deglobalization, really weak productivity numbers, um, aging demographics, not enough young people coming into the workforce, and then just this two to two and a half million dollar gap uh, that we have because of the trend in legal immigration being so weak. And then, and then the one thing that you can throw on top of that is COVID and long COVID. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems to be long COVID um, certainly has put people in and out, um, you know, definitely yeah. on a seasonal basis. And that yeah. seems to have an effect. The U.S. deficit hit $31 trillion uh, this past week. It's $93,000 of debt per head. Um, so, yeah, I mean, interest rates seem like they're going to be a major problem. Um, you know, if that's the number we're working with. It certainly does. I mean, we had a great number over the last 12 months in terms of tax collection. So deficits don't look that bad. That's going to reverse since nobody's going to have much in the way of capital gains and all the other extraordinary yeah. profitability that came from the stimulus. So deficits are going to get real ugly again. And you just look at the issue that the UK is dealing with. Like there's there's such a thing as bond, bond vigilante again, bond vigilanteism again. And that, you know, they, they basically made what the market thought was an imprudent fiscal decision uh, on the revenue side. And there was a there was a powerful reaction to that. And they've had to reverse some of that. You know, I, I, the, the people who are really worried about the end of a long term debt cycle, the Ray Dalio's and his disciples, even Druckenmiller was talking about it the other day. The result of that is going to be more constrained spending and probably higher taxes. That's not good for the rate at which we can grow an economy. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, all of a sudden fiscal responsibility is gonna matter again. Mm -hmm. 
Um, bad news out of the energy prices in terms of OPEC, uh, limiting production down to $2 million a day. Uh, I think you're already starting to see some of that at the pump, and I think you will definitely in the next few weeks, um, which obviously I think made my change the midterm narrative again. Um, you know, that could be another factor involved in the whole process. Yeah. Well, I mean, gas has come off the low, off the high so much, and a lot of that has to do with the SPR. But Biden is really running out of room. We are at really, really low storage levels historically on the product side. So he only has so much more room to go. Of course, the election is in less than a month, so he only <laughs> he can, yeah, he can right. kind of start to he can he can start pulling off he, he can um, stop pulling off of that pretty soon. Um, but the fact is, the thing that pisses me off about the whole OPEC thing is there's this idea somehow that U.S. presidents have had the capability of influencing OPEC quotas. I mean, are you kidding me? Name the president, name the administration that was able to influence the Saudis on how much money they wanted to make. The Saudis want $100 oil, right? They need it. They want it, and they're going to get there. They're the, they're the guys with the excess production. Um, and, and, and look, it's not really a $2 million cut. Uh, you know, so much of OPEC and OPEC plus doesn't have the capacity, uh, to drill more. Uh, Venezuela is, is a, is a, is a broken state. I mean, that's where all the excess capacity, that's where like the real opportunity would be. It's just not going to happen anytime soon. So it's a bad situation. And as I talk about ad nauseum, you know, where there's excess capacity in the Permian, in the Bakken. But the fact is, is that US producers all have the same capital discipline. They're gonna return their cash to shareholders. Our problem isn't, is only in part that OPEC doesn't wanna produce more. Yeah. The big issue is that the contiguous 48 and in the Permian and in the Bakken and all over this country, we are not producing more. And that is, 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 is the big kind of, the big problem uh, that nobody really wants to talk about. It's not because of federal lands or any of that nonsense. It's about returning cash to shareholders, period. What do you think uh, we might have left out this week, Tim? Kind of on our finishing thoughts. Uh, well, we got an election in 20-something uh, days, and I must say I have no idea. I don't think anybody does uh, what it's going to look like in terms of the Senate and the congressional side. My guess is, and I think that the conventional wisdom is that the Democrats hold on to the House. Uh, I'm sorry, the Democrats hold on to the Senate and lose the House. And that means you basically get nothing done with the extent with the exception of like tax extenders and things like that over the next couple of years. Um, but we'll see, man. It is it is awfully dynamic right now. And the polls are really kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's one. And I think you got to wait and see this weekend is incredibly important because uh, Xi will be, you know, coronated for the uh, for his third term. And, you know, when the Commerce Department and said, comes out and says no possibility of reconciliation, um, the trade wars are really starting to, or I shouldn't say starting to, this path has been fairly consistent. Uh, they're going higher. The, the tension is going higher. There is going to be a response. 
um, to uh, to embargoing technology uh, from China. So I think that's what you have to keep an eye on. You know, I, I don't think markets or at least equity markets are particularly cheap yet. I wrote about in my essay this week and Mike Wilson from Morgan Stanley was talking about it, that 240 or 235, whatever the number is now for, for bottoms up S&P earnings is just really a nonsensical number. Bottoms up earnings don't go down until companies tell you to do so. And why is that? Because if you take your numbers way down before the company wants you to, you're going to piss off your banker. And if you piss off your banker when you're a sell-side analyst, that is career risk. There's no two ways about it. Sounds good. Well, thanks, Tim, for your time today. For all our listeners and subscribers, uh, thanks as well. And we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the contents. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.